Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by Football Index Trader, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. The new season is fast approaching and footballindextrader.co.uk will be giving in-depth FI-focused previews of every league, including analysis of the pre-season friendlies to help members prime their portfolios for success in the new season. To see the site for yourself, just go to the homepage and click on the Take the Tour button. You can see a whole month of example player scouting from this season and some example member articles too. As an exclusive offer for Figcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with the code FIG25 over on footballindextrader.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast episode 152. I think this is the first time I'm recording an episode in the morning ever, ever, ever on the Fitcast. So uh, yeah, if if I sound sleepy or tired or, or drowsy, it's because I probably am, uh, even though it's not that early in the morning and I'm not really that bigger morning person i am joined however by two esteemed guests two uh, parts of the figcast alumni they've already been on the podcast separately and now they're coming on together first and foremost uh, chris harris how are you doing mate very good mate good morning morning it amuses me to hear you giving it the morning <laughs> chat having been up for hours already <laughs> previously on episode 118 which was a big hit people enjoyed that one i mean why don't you remind traders about your football index journey the ones that haven't listened to that episode and also what your journey has been like since and also a bit about yourself yeah sure i'm a i'm a comms director a pr agency um i've been on the index since i think it was may 2017 so over three years now so seen a fair bit of progression on it um but yeah probably the rate of change over the last six months or so since the last time i was on has been been bigger than any other time in some ways in the developments of the platform so very interesting time to be on and we're also joined by index go mesh ali g how are you doing mate yeah good mate. how are you today not too bad not too bad previously on episode 104 so that's actually nearly a year ago and i mean it might be a good idea for you to remind traders about your football index journey and also how you've you found fi since that episode yeah so i joined a couple of months after chris i joined in november 2017 um I think in the last year, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting time. I think there's, there was phases of it where things seemed, stag- uh, things seemed a bit stagnant and wasn't sure the direction FI were going to take, but I feel like they're firmly back on track now and it's going to be a big year ahead. Uh, here, 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 here. I mean, we had a load of questions, loads to do with dentistry, etc., <laughs> etc., and I'm sure we're going to get into those and it's going to be great. And we do have some more serious questions as well. But before we do get into it, I've got couple of things to plug and and please don't pause or (laughs) fast forward i've started a patreon if you don't know what that is it's where content creators create premium bonus and behind the scenes content for their audience in my case i'll be trying to help traders profit more on their football next journey by adding as much insight as i can there's three pound five pound eight pound and twelve pound tiers all with different great perks so do check it out for the best football content around football index content around rather it's definitely not the best football content around i'm you know full disclosure Uh, so head over to patreon.com forward slash 
FI Guide, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash FI Guide for more information and join a growing community at the Fig Patreon for the best football index content around. People really enjoying it. You know, Discord, uh, monthly blogs, monthly podcasts, and webinars. Everyone's enjoying it. And this month, going to focus a lot on on sell orders in all the content. So I'm waiting to release all the the private content until uh, after the sell orders start. Also, going to start uh, my State of Play podcast. So if you want to check out my other podcast, the football podcast that I run uh, at State of Play Pod over on Twitter. And also, I've got one last thing to plug, and that's the Fig survey that I'm running. So if you want to be in with a chance to win a twenty five pound Amazon voucher, all you have to do is head over to bit.ly forward slash fig survey basically quick 10 questions about the fig content i'm trying to make you know this content be as as good as possible on the podcast on the youtube on everywhere really so go check that out chance to win 25 quid you know 10 minutes work i mean you do the probabilities it's not bad is it so go check out and it helps me out as well even if you don't win so so please do check it out uh, got some nice comments and miscellaneous questions here. Dr. Duba, two veterans looking forward to this one. And then ACG, uh, Ali, I don't know if this is one of your mates or not. He says, is Invisalign really worth all the hype? Yeah, that's one of my mates that's not even on Football Index. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess yeah, he's got, got an interest in Invisalign. Um, yes, yes, it is. Especially for you, Aaron, with your teeth, my friend. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, there you go, Aaron. Um, <laughs> maybe worth an investment, Giza. Um, we've got a question here from T-Dog. This is directed at you, I think, as well, Ali G. Uh, when withdrawing a large chunk of your portfolio a while ago, how did you decide which players you sold? And, you know, you, you can tell the background about why you did this, if you, if you like. Yeah, so um, it was near the start of this year, actually. I, so when I first joined Football Index, I think the goal for me was always, well, not initially. Initially, I kind of joined for a bit of fun. I liked the idea. And then slowly, um, I realized, actually, you can make a fair fair bit of money for this. And I think it, it, it was probably a bit of a dream more than anything. I thought maybe I could make enough for a house deposit, but never did I actually think I would kind of get there. Um, so at the start of this year, I'd kind of had enough to do that. So I halved my portfolio, um, taken out about over 100K it was. And it was hard, actually. Um I'd never kind of done a big deposit like that. And it, w- it was difficult to kind of decide how to do it. I think I kind of had two ways in mind. One of them was either just to be kind of do it a bit simpler, just go through, reduce a number of shares for each player, or I could reduce a number of players I held. And I think at the time, I was actually looking to change my strategy up a bit um, and go for a more aggressive approach of less players and more shares in each. So it was just a good chance for me just to kind of shed down a number of players I had. In terms of how I decided who to keep or sell, so it's actually something I do every day. I just go through my portfolio and look at the players' current prices. Okay, so not the price I bought for all the profit, just their current price. Um, and with every player I buy, I always I always kind of have, have them in mind as either a short-term hold, medium-term hold, or long-term hold. So I look at all the short-term players' current prices and just kind of roughly in my head think, right, what's the target price I have in mind for these short-term holds? How quickly is it going to happen? And then whichever ones I think I've got the least to make on or if I'm kind of unsure which way it's going to go, I probably decided to get rid of. And then I just repeat that for the medium and long-term holds as well. I think the whole process took much longer than I thought. It took about three months um, and it was in the old phase of where I did try and kind of market sell everyone, which 
I don't anymore, but yeah, at the time I was, and I'd say, yeah, overall, it took much longer than I'd kind of anticipated. I don't know if, have you ever had any big withdrawals to make, Chris? No, the opposite, actually. I've never really withdrawn anything, I don't think. I think I might have, like, when I first, when I was a couple of months in, I think I might have withdrawn £10, just to almost, like, sanity check, you can <laughs> withdraw money from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but since then, I haven't withdrawn anything. I think I'd struggle as well um, to to kind of decide who, especially as I think. I I tend to buy players and, and, and think that I'm going to hold them for quite a long period of time. Never quite get in my head, you know, this is going to be three years or whatever. But um, but I do tend to think I'm going to have them for at least the season. But this is this period now is like the busiest time for me buying because um, I'm try I try and buy players. I think over the course of the season are going to deliver some dividends and and grow in price as a result. Really, it's um, also historically the the time where you can make not the most money on FI, but a lot. You know, if you can pick the guys that are breaking out into teams are breaking out this season then you're going to make a shit ton. You know, everyone wants to find the next Mo Salah, the next Kai Havertz, right? So uh, those are two separate, completely different examples. But one, you know, came to Liverpool and, and was amazing and basically rocketed, you know, not 10x's price, but, you know, five, six x's price and loads of dividends in that season kai havertz um you know uh exploding onto the scene uh more this season but also last if you can find those guys that are kind of coming onto the scene whether they're premier league bound or or not then you can make a lot of money yeah i think absolutely the pre-season kind of period's a great great time to kind of pick up some bargains i think last season in pre-season, uh, before the season start, you could have picked up Sensi below a pound. You could have picked up Sabitza below a pound. So, yeah, a lot of opportunity, I think. For sure. Uh, we've got a, some more questions here. FI and Tonic has an interesting one. He's from the Discord as well, from the Patreon. Uh, if you guys do want to check that out, another quick plug. Uh, Piers Mbappe has become the new Kimmich. What are your thoughts on him? I don't really understand this question. No, I don't I understand the... I understand the link. I think he means in terms of the player that is most slagged off yeah on dividing opinion i think yeah so so what do you what do you make of mbappe then chris um i'm i mean look i'm i've i've got a decent um holding in him so maybe that that kind of dictates my opinion on him but i think he just kind of he's got everything going for him on fi for the future i think i know he you know neymar probably limits some of his pb at the moment but that is not going to continue indefinitely. And then sometimes I think even on FI, you just have to take a step back and look at the player in non-FI terms. You know, th- this is the natural heir to, you know, the Messi's and the Ronaldo's throne. He's on, he's almost there already, I would say, in terms of his kind of global reputation. MB's changing will probably benefit him, um, you know, in terms of the short-term changes that are coming imminently. And then, you know, obviously if they broaden out the media as well, probably got a massive transfer in him coming up and I think his PB continues to improve as well so uh, for me uh, I find it surprising the amount of grief he gets albeit you know if you just take it it's simple his price versus his PB returns it's not great but I think you have to look outside of that sometimes and you know you see people apply that logic to someone like Cherky where they're you know piling in now all based on what he's going to do in the future but Mbappe's what 21 22 he's still got basically his whole career ahead of him as well um so yeah, that's that's my take on it. Different to Kimmich, I think Kimmich divides opinion because some people it's almost like the old school baseliner versus peak score argument with him, isn't it? But I think for me, I don't own Kimmich, but I see why people do because 
you get, you've got a chance of winning PB with him every week. Um, you know, he's always going to be posted a, a pretty solid score. And if he makes a couple of major contributions in a game, you're probably in the mix. So I completely get that as well. Mm. I think also, yeah, that, that thing about buying for future dividends, that's what we're buying players for, right? Yeah. Um, you don't have to win next week and you don't have to win next month. I think, um, there is that kind of misconception. And I guess it's not a misconception, you know, in, in traditional gambling products, people are used to winning after 90 minutes or losing after 90 minutes. So getting yourself used to feeling that you don't have to win for, I, I mean, again, I, I hate plugging him because his head's bigger than the moon. But, uh, when Panda talks about Sancho, he's talked about buying him since last April or whatever. Um, so you do have to have some patience if you do want those really explosive rises and the explosive dividend returners. And by all means, there are going to be players like Bruno Fernandes who went up 100% in a month. And, um, you know, there's going to be other players at the beginning of this season, as we mentioned, that are going to go up loads at the beginning of it, um, due to outstanding performances. But the people that I've seen make the most money on FI have been those that have bought in bulk and bought for the long term and taken up those massive rises and then sold when they dis, uh, decide they want to de-risk some of that position. Yeah, I think if you go back to Sancho, the people who really profited uh, from him were people who were buying him last year, like Panda, before he started winning a lot of dividends. I think a couple of months ago, he really exploded in price. And that was the point where he started racking up the media dividends regularly. And I think for me, that's just really highlighted it. Look, these future div winners, you want to get on them before they're winning because as soon as they start winning regularly, they will kind of explode in price. And I think going back to Mbappe, like even his PB stats, I think are so underrated. People kind of speak of him as if he's never anywhere near. And I just, I got a couple of stats I wanted to just mention with him. So I think for me, if I'm buying a young player, immediate dividend returns, like you guys have said, isn't exactly the most important thing, but what I do like like to look for is kind of an improvement. Okay, so Mbappe, so in 2018-2019 season, I got these stats from um, Index Game, by the way, and I think they've updated the stats to kind of fit in with the new scoring matrix. Okay, so 2018-2019, his PB average was 110. Last season, that gone up to 130. His PB max in 2018-19 was 259. Last season, that jumped to 295. And then scores over 200, 2018-19 he had three, last season he had five. And I think last season he he had quite a few kind of spurts of injury as well, which makes it all, all the more impressive. But I guess the picture I'm trying to kind of make here is that he's got that progressive trend. You can see the improvement from one season to the next. And I think um, as he kind of matures and grows more, that's going to continue. And I'll kind of go on to that why as well. But another stat I wanted to say was, if we compare him to 21-year-old forwards, so forwards his own age, okay? So forwards under 21, between them, scored 27 scores over 200, right? Out of these 27, eight of them, so that's 29% of them, were from Mbappe. And the next best two players had two scores of 200. So I think compared to players his age, his PB games is miles ahead. Um, I think as well, it's, it's difficult... It's difficult to kind of know how Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo did it 2021 because obviously the index wasn't there. We didn't have PB stats for it. But I just wanted to kind of point out some of the teammates um, these guys are playing with it at similar age to Mbappe. Okay, And th- this will tie into kind of my media points about him as well. So 
Messi, uh, when he was 20, it was his third season at Barca. It was probably when he kind of established himself, actually. But he was playing with Eto, Ronaldinho, Deco, Xavi, Iniesta. Um, and I think Ronaldinho, he won the Ballon d'Or two years before that. Um, and was third that season and Ballon d'Or as well. So at that stage, Ronaldinho was the star of that team still. Um, and I can kind of hear everyone now saying, oh, yeah, Messi's good, but he's never going to win PB Ronaldinho. He's never going to win media Ronaldinho. Let's look at, <laughs> let's look at Ronaldinho. <laughs> Literally, you can hear it now. Ronaldo as well. So in the 2005-06 season, when he was 20-21, um, he was fourth top scorer in the United team. And above him, you had Van Nistelrooy, Rooney, even Saha. That season in the Premier League as well, Omri had one of his best seasons. So he was sort of the star in the Premier League. But again, you can already hear it. Oh, well, Ronaldo's never going to win PB with Rooney around. He's not going to win media with Omri around. Um, and I think essentially the point to make here is that when players are 2021, they're not going to be given the bulk of the responsibility, right? It can kind of hinder their development. Um, and I think we saw with all these guys, as the older players kind of faded away and the team started to be built around them, they did become more involved in, in the general play. And I really think we'll see that with Mbappe. So I think he's, his PB will, will improve once Neymar kind of moves on or Neymar just gets a bit older. Um, and in terms of media, again, so Messi was competing with Ronaldinho initially, Ronaldo were Rooney and Omri. Neymar, when he first went to Barca, he was competing with Messi. So you can kind of see players go, new players emerge. And this is just a cycle that's going to go on all the time. And I think with Mbappe, he's, his partnership with Nike is so understated because it just gives him such a global reach already. I can't, I mean, do any other 21-year-olds have ever deal with Nike already like he does? Don't know his English is also fantastic. Is one of the things that I got shocked by. Um, I don't know what interview it was recently. Um, oh, was it before the Champions League final? Yeah, yeah. I was honestly shocked. Like I couldn't believe it. Um, and you know, it's it's different to someone like Paul Pogba, for example, who's also uh, French, but was kind of like brought up playing football in England, uh, United. Like it's it, it really did shock me how good his English is. But I suppose like young kids nowadays am i allowed to call him a young kid Mbappe? <laughs> yeah. um nowadays like they they learn loads of languages concurrently at school but then again he, he stopped going to school at 16 right so um, it's uh it's pretty phenomenal but yeah, he um, just comes across as an intelligent as intelligent young young kid as well and, and i think you'll you'll see that continuing in the way he plays as well I, I, yeah i know we're laboring the point with him but psg go out unless he comes on against atalanta in the Champions League, like he 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 turned the game back in their favour because they were they were really doing nothing in that game. You know, Neymar was trying to do it on his own, but he put the two of them together and, and he 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 got them back into the game. For me. He was he even wasn't even he was, fully even fit, though he as wasn't well. fit. Yeah. yeah, even though he was injured, really, and and you know, ultimately didn't fire in the final. But you know, they they weren't in the final if he didn't come on. A hundred percent believe that. Yeah, I, I think as well, more immediately with this season, 2021 has always been rumoured as the season that he might move on. I know Madrid have been rumoured, Liverpool's been rumoured, um, and obviously you've got the Euros as well. So I really think we could see his media appeal kind of build throughout the season as we approach the summer with possibly a big move in the Euros. And I think ultimately, if you had to make a bet right now with all the kind of factors that we have and, and the data that we have, as to which current under-23 players will become 
kind of regular dual PB and MB earners, I, I just can't see how you wouldn't put Mbappe in the top three there. I really just mm. can't. I think the other thing that people aren't thinking about is the, the contract situation with him and, and Neymar actually, you know, they've both got two years left on their deal. Um, something's got to give there, right? It's either going to be one of them stays, one of them goes, both sign or both leave. I don't think both will sign and I don't think both will leave. So I don't know, you know, it's going to be interesting, right? Like, I, I mean, by all means, they both could leave and they both could sign. I could be completely wrong, but I just have a feeling that one stays, one goes, if that makes sense. Yeah. He, um, he, he goes for me, I think. Who, Mbappe or Neymar? Yeah, Mbappe, yeah. I think Neymar has probably last summer was his time to go. And I think he probably has missed the, missed the boat back to one of the big big, big sides. I don't mean he's, you know, finished as a player or anything like that. I just think out of the two of them now, if you're Madrid, seems the only real destination. I, I think don't really buy the Liverpool stuff. Um, I think Mbappe is your man, isn't he? One more season of Benzema and then Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, let's see. Either way, there's, you know, there will be a lot of talk around him this, this next year. That's for sure. For sure, for sure. Uh, got a question here from Talking Turkey. Um, Chris Harris, who is the best communicator on FI Twitter other than me? Yeah, in, uh, I gave this question a bit of thought <laughs> because there's a lot of contenders, right? Um, well, <laughs> you know, but what I what I came to the conclusion was when I think about, you know, what is who's a great communicator, what's great comms, it's about consistently kind of landing your message. And if you can kind of land something in, in the everyday consciousness of the whole kind of community as well, then even better. So with that in mind, I've, I've gone for the, uh, for the, for the main man himself, GMK, relentless <laughs> in his delivery of his message of corruption of MB. Um, and he's managed to kind of infiltrate the community with a catchphrase as well that you see all the time now with the blood dividends so yeah you can't ask for any more than that everybody knows what he's about so would, would you would you not call him maybe a, a master marketer rather than the best communicator well yeah possibly possibly <laughs> but i think his message is very clear <laughs> yeah no message no of well on, on, it, it, uh, it on is clear as mud i suppose yeah um <laughs> got a question here from kino fi trader Index Gomesh, do you tell your patients about Football Index when you're looking at their teeth? And then DT also says, what percentage of your patients do you tell FI about? Is this a regular thing? I mean, usually when I'm in the dentist show, I can't really speak. So Yeah, I mean, I did have two patients in my first kind of couple of months of joining FI amongst the excitement of it. I, uh, I did have two patients that kind of showed the slightest interest in football. So straight away, I told them about Football Index. And um, yeah, neither of them came back to see me again. So... I think looking back, probably doesn't look great when you've gone for a checkup and your dentist is trying to get you to sign up to the football stock market. <laughs> I, mean, I was trying to do him a favour, but yeah, there we are. Um, no, I'm, I'm not really telling. I'm at a new place, so I'm not really telling uh, any any patients at the moment about football and next. But I have got my nurse involved recently, actually. Uh, oh, yeah. And she's, she's chucked 500 quid in and I've just given her three players to put it on. So uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> keep us updated on that um double cheers another dentistry related question what footballer's teeth would you love to sort out <laughs> yeah i think similarly to chris i gave this quite a bit of thought actually um so actually supposedly football players have got quite bad teeth there was a study that showed that 40 percent of them have cavities 
Um, I think it's probably because they have quite a lot of high energy drink. Sorry, high high number of energy drinks. Um, so I kind of tried to narrow it to two players. I really wanted to do their teeth. So firstly, I had Luis Suarez. Uh, I think it would make a big difference for him, and it might actually make him a bit more likable as well. I feel. And then the second one, who I would love to do his teeth, was actually Ronaldinho. I think he could really do with a big, big improvement. Oh. I was hoping you wouldn't say that, Ali. When I saw that question, I was like, I really hope he doesn't say Ronaldinho. It's <laughs> well, all part of the iconic image, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I just think it'd be such a fun appointment with him, though, and I'd love to hear about his Paraguayan prison experience as well. So I think oh, I, I just want to beat him more than anything. <laughs> all waiting for that biography, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I just love the thought of him just like rinsing everyone and when they're having yeah. a little recreational time out there with the ball. <laughs> I feel they've got to do some sort of Netflix show on him. They have to. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking Sunderland till I die, but Paraguay, Paraguayan prison version and kind of following <laughs> yeah. his life. Uh, have you been Have you been enjoying me and Panda talking about dentistry, I guess, more earlier in the in the Ficast Extra lifetime? Yeah, I think Panda was uh, kind of slagging my reputation off a bit. But, he was, uh, wasn't he? I think any sort of exposure is always good. <laughs> And exposure is good exposure, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's move on. I think you gave them a, a little plug already, Ali. Uh, Index Gain, uh, awesome, awesome product. If you guys want to check them out, all the data that Ali pulled from uh, his little Mbappe speech, I guess, at this point. It went on for so long, I don't know how long it was. That has come from Index Gain. So if you do want to check out all uh, those great stats, then head over to indexgain.co.uk. And if you use the code FIG2020, you get £5 off your first month. And if you go for their six-month membership, you get a free month and five quid off. So do check that out. All those stats that Ali got were from Index Gain. So go check that out. So, uh, I mean, we're recording a day before Settled is stupidly because, you know, uh, Chris is a busy man um me and ali are wankers so we obviously decided to, to, to do it on the wednesday before sell orders so i'm gonna ask for your predictions chris here what what does uh what does this time tomorrow look like and then what does tomorrow afternoon look like for us yeah <laughs> i mean i was laughing at the thought of this because you, you and you know you, you and panda obviously kind of frequently put yourself out there on on your predictions <laughs> so now here we are um i think I, th- I think, you know, the way I looked at it, the way I've been looking at it is I've just been looking at my port- portfolio and thinking, and this might be too logical, but I'm basically looking at thinking any anyone with a tight spread is going to be fine. I doubt they'll see much action tomorrow. Maybe even they might start to rise, you know, implicitly tight spread. Well, that's the thing that people are demand. missing, right? That's yeah, the thing that people so. are it's missing, but they me, could rise. Players can rise tomorrow, right? Yeah, if you, I'm, I'm looking at, um, or right, I'm looking at uh, a random player here. First one with a really tight spread, uh, Harland, right? He's he's eight oh eight by seven ninety sell. Like, you know, if people start listing him for seven ninety two, then presumably someone's going to buy him because they've bid that high, um, and presumably some people are going to try and sell for higher than that. 18 yeah, well, maybe I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna find you know when there's a really tight spread someone someone's not gonna list them for like you know 10 20 30p under the, the lowest price yeah like, i mean and and so, fatty's buy 535 sell 524 like yeah i mean i guess the flip side is is you know is someone with a big spread and there's there's a cut there's a few in, in my portfolio that i've looked at and been like they're 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 gonna they're gonna drop tomorrow without a doubt like you know i think 
the spreads will close on people with big spreads, I expect. Um, but uh, some players that'll be, you know, the, their, their value dropping rather than, you know, the bids increasing. And I think there'll be this kind of, I feel there'll be this kind of attempt to try and meet in the middle. Um, you know, seeing, seeing all the kind of, all the prices flying up at the moment is interesting, isn't it? Because people unlist and you think, well, do you know what? Like, those people wanted to sell those people. They probably still wanted to, they probably still want to sell them tomorrow and they'll be able to choose what price they sell them at tomorrow. So there, there are obviously going to be, um, values dropping, but I think you can cut, or oh, I feel maybe this is too logical, but you can kind of predict who and what, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to particularly call out a player, but yesterday Pogba didn't have a sell price for part of the day. And I just, I'd look at that and think, that that's probably a candidate for for a relatively sizable drop in in some. Yeah, of I think Messi. I'm I've got, I'm a Messi holder, and I'm I'm a bit wor- I'm a bit worried right, by his yeah. uh, by his spread as well. But yeah, I think pr- pretty much what you said. Wider spreads. I think expect those players' values to drop. Tighter spreads not going to change much. And I think yeah, like you said, on a positive note, it's going to free up a lot of money for a lot of people. And I think a lot of high sentiment players, we could see some big rises tomorrow as well. So, yeah, like you said, on the timeline, there's a lot of doom and gloom. But I think people are forgetting and there's going to be a lot of cash freed up as well to get on rises. There is. And I think, you know, a lot of the doom and gloom merchants, you've got to, some of those people, I think, are there's a lot of pushing to try and make it a sort of, you know, the classic FI self-fulfilling prophecy that we see from time to time. If you start telling everyone it's going to be doom and gloom and then there is a little bit of dropping, there'll be more. And then probably those guys will go in and hoover up at a nice low price. And, and I think people need to have their eyes open about that as well. Like it's not going to be as bad as people are making or some are making out on the timeline for sure. Um, and, and, you know, fast forward then a couple of weeks on, I think it's the norm. It's forgotten people's performances on the pitch are being recognized. You know, it just means it's more important than ever to buy kind of good players with good future potential on FI. But, but I would say, why, why were you not doing that anyway? So I think, you know, people are really not really, I don't know that they're not really thinking this through, right? Um, people are presuming that if a player has a 10 pound buy and a nine pound 50 sell, that they are then going to go more towards nine pound 50, which is not necessarily the case. Let's say that player, player X, has a offer that goes in at 960, right? Once that 960 offer is bought up, right? Because you'd presume if someone's offering as a bid at 950, someone would probably also want to buy at 960, then the next lower sell offer will be the buy price, which might move up to 970. It might move up to 985. You don't know. Um, But I think people are misunderstanding the concept of sell orders. They're misunderstanding... um, the thing about like how much negative price pressure there is. And also if there is a tight spread on a player, why that means no one wants to sell, right? That means no one wants to sell and the market for that player is high. The demand for that player is high. And that means people are trying to bit outbid each other, right? And if that is the case, why would someone offer a really cheap price for that? Why, why would you sell a player for lower than the bid price, which you can't anyway? Um, you, you wouldn't, and you, I don't think you can. Um, you'd probably try and put it above the bid price, right? So I, I think people are really un, uh, misunderstanding this. I think there's obviously been a bit of fear-mongering, a bit of misunderstanding, a bit of miscommunication, and a bit of misinformation all mixed into one. And I think people just need to, to calm down. And I think the best 
action is no action if you don't really understand what's going on. They just wait and see what's going on. Hundred percent. And also, you know, even the I've seen that you know people have been kind of almost laughing about how much their portfolios rising at the moment with all the unlisting and saying, you know, these are people that want to sell these shares ultimately. So tomorrow is going to be messy. But actually, there are people that wanted to 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 sell at market value, and there are people that didn't want to take. A, a, a lower bid and accept a lower bid and an instant sell at that price. So, you know, to say they're immediately going to then just, you know, set a really low sell price is, is not true. They might just kind of test the water by taking just a few pence off and setting a sell price there, you know, because they obviously want to sell at the highest value possible. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So I think more than ever, having a way of valuing your holds is going to be, is going to be so, so important. I think you need to have a figure in your own head about, where you value a player and just be careful you don't sell too much below it or if you get an offer and you want to sell you it's a kind of a round where you're valuing them there is going to be obviously a transition period there is going to be a learning process like we had with the bids but i don't know i think it's going to be and i think the main reason it's going to be positive is when you see players like uh um messi and philip max right where they don't the events don't go as planned or as traders wanted, you suddenly have loads of money trapped there because people can't sell, right? And more importantly, people can't sell for a price that people are willing to buy at. So I think it's really important to not think only about, oh, well, you know, it's not going to be good for for this player that I hold, this player that I hold. But overall for the market, it's going to be good because people are going to be able to liquidate holds that they no longer want at a price that they feel comfortable selling at. I think that's a really important factor to kind of, have in this and also one of the other things that we think about is the yields are so massive now from a dividend payout standpoint you know um there are players i think was it uh sdt tw- uh, tweeted only 50 players in the on the index wouldn't yield 10 percent on a goldman star day right that is huge the the payouts are so massive now that even if you do see a small dip in your portfolio i'd be looking at those payouts and being like well you know if i can buy cheaper on some of these players and i know the kind of trajectory that fi is going on with these payouts in mind you know you'd be if you if you are confident in the product you'd be crazy not to be taking up some of those um some of those offers if they do come up lower than you expect them and i think there will be people who have a lot of trading activities tomorrow there'll be people who do next to nothing and i think it's important to realize that neither is wrong you just have to do with what's your what's what you're comfortable with and i guess this is all completely defunct because this has happened by now but (laughs) (laughs) i I hope people have actually you know not panicked um during that period and i'm sure they won't well if you bought if you bought someone because you thought they were gonna you know put in a, a decent dividend yield over the over the course of however long you plan to hold them for um, you know, whether that was, you know, just for the IPDs for a, a month or, or longer. Yeah. Well, this, this change that's happening tomorrow doesn't, doesn't change that at all. Uh, you know, that still remains the same. They still remain just as likely to perform well on the pitch as they did the day before. Um, and people need to remember that as well. And, you know, if they, even if you have a, a sharp drop in, in one of your players, if you bought them because you think they're going to do well on the pitch and they do, they'll start rising again. So it, I think, it, short-term panic possibly for a lot for for some people but hopefully in a couple of weeks time you know with football back um it will all be it will all be kind of water under the bridge and then it will just be the new way of doing things Mm. 
And, and how big do you folks think this is for Football Index as a product? Yeah, big. I, I think it is really big. I think the trapped money um, piece you, you said just now is is key. Um, if people can move money around quicker, then everything is going to move more quickly on on the index. I think there's there we haven't even talked about the, the kind of appeal, the broader appeal to you know um, people from traditional um, market backgrounds and stuff like that that this will hopefully bring as well, and the infl- the influx of money that that could bring from them too. So yeah, it's, it's kind of. I, I mean, I, I think we I often would even, say this is a defining say, moment, don't we? Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I, I would say, I actually think this might, we might look back and this is kind of the biggest biggest step for Football and Next, along with NASDAQ, is I really, really think this would kind of take it to the next step where, yeah, we do see kind of massive money coming in, um, high net worth individuals coming, sorry, high net worth individuals coming in. And I know you spoke about our last week figure as well, maybe some institutional money as well, because... I think it really is going to make things so liquid and that is, it just makes it so much more attractive to kind of um, uh, bigger investors and the NASDAQ kind of allegiance as well. It just, I've got friends where I've been telling them about football index for a year and a half and then sort of in the last two months, I've told them that NASDAQ's coming in and just the association with NASDAQ is just overnight made them join football index. It's a year and a half of me telling them nothing one mention of NASDAQ and they're in. I think for big investors, that is just honestly such such a big move, such a big move. Yeah, just it legitimizes the the platform again. You know, they, they if I've taken loads of steps over the time that I've been on that have legitimized the platform a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. And, and NASDAQ almost feels like the, the crowning piece in, in, that, in that kind of journey to legitimize the whole thing in everyone's mind. And, you know, things like the shirt sponsorships have done that. The, you know, appearing on, appearing around the, the Premier League grounds has done that. A lot of the marketing's done that. John Motson even did that for a bit. But this NASDAQ piece feels like the, the real kind of clincher yeah, to everyone. Because I feel like the things you said, that's, they were all things with the, with the shirt sponsorship and on Sky and on TalkSport. They made it more credible to football fans whereas i think this nasdaq association now makes it much more credible and legitimate to to investors so i think it's kind of making it more credible to a different different audience now yeah i think you know sell orders are going to be different to bids obviously because it's not a buy only market but i think people need to understand that with this in place and market makers we have a situation where as I mentioned earlier, people can actually exit trades at, at prices that they want and that they feel comfortable with and move that money around. You know, you look at, as I mentioned again, Philip Max, right? There was a lot of debate of whether or not it was good at its price. Obviously, it's, it's not because he left the top five league or is leaving a top five league. But, you know, there is that situation where someone might be happy to sell at 65p and someone might be happy to buy at 65p. Um, so why not create that situation where it can happen? And if that does happen to other players, um, it, 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 you know, it doesn't mean that a player is not worth more than someone is willing to sell for. Um, it just means that that person is in that situation at that moment in time. Again, a split moment in time, willing to take that money for that. Because... I think there was a really good thread by um, Lee Butler on on Twitter, actually. I don't know if you guys saw that one. Um, He was talking about not panicking because without market depth, we can't see the next lower sell order. 
right? So in the situation that I gave earlier where you have a buyer that's buy £10 and sell 950 if a sell order comes in at 955 that player's buy price might temporarily change to 955 But we don't know what the next lower sell order is. It could be 960 it could be 992 So you could literally have a situation where those shares are bought out and the, the, the next lowest <laughs> offer is 992 what's he worth is he worth 960 or is he worth 992 or have you yourself as a trader valued him at far higher or far lower i don't know but yeah you know this is why i think more than ever you need to kind of have some sort of valuation for your holds and just like chris said nothing's no factors have changed overnight okay with your actual holds all it is is people are able to kind of offer you a price and I think it's so important to not panic when you see that first kind of buy price or, or offer. Um, and you need to just have some sort of value in your head and stick to it and think, right, I valued my hold at this because of ABC. They're all still in place. So I'm not going to panic um, with this offer. Um, and I'm going to kind of stick to my guns a bit. Mm. I think that is true, right? Uh, the valuation of your holds is, is, is really important at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's going to be fascinating viewing tomorrow. Obviously, by the time this goes out, we'll know. But it's <laughs> going to be it's going to be fascinating to watch what happens tomorrow. I think there's there's just there's some players that I do and don't hold that I'm that I think are going to be interesting tests for me. Like um, I, I do still have some um, Zaniolo, for example. I, mm. I'm, I'm I'm interested to see what happens with him. In some like awful for him as a player to get that injury again, but timing of it with this about to happen from an fi perspective is 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 really quite an immediate test of how it's going to work isn't it because at the moment you know that obviously the 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 bid the bids going in from a, a rock bottom and and i don't really want to sell for that low um but if i was able to set as i will be able to set it much higher then you know you know he's going to be out for another six months i'm sure he'll rise over the course of those six months but could the money be better used elsewhere? Maybe it's going to be it's going to be really interesting on him to see the reaction. Mm, mm, it really is. I mean, the Zaniolo thing was really interesting, actually. Like, let me let me pick your brains about that because I think I, I wrote a little thing in the Discord uh, about how I just couldn't understand people um, kind of topping up uh, and buying um, a player that might, um, you know, might have another ACL. Like I just couldn't yeah, believe it. I was I, I was honestly in disbelief. And um, what I try and do all the time is try and say to myself what I'm doing, right? Like to try and kind of sanity check it if it's written down or or said in my brain. And you think about like you are buying a player who's just come back from an ACL injury, right? On the eve of sell orders, who could have another ACL, and people were buying, and they were they thought they were getting an amazing deal. And I, I, I'm not trying to kind of uh, fear monger here. He could be uh, a better price than he is now tomorrow. He could be a worse price than he is tomorrow. But like the dynamic there for me just didn't make sense from an FI standpoint. Because even if he was a good bet, right, you buy. But if he like in that situation, there is no way the probabilities were stacked up for you. And so that's why I just didn't understand why people were buying because it wasn't a good bet. And if if you did quote unquote win that bet and he went up and it wasn't an ACL, even then it's not a good bet because the the probabilities were against you. You just probably got lucky. But yeah, and and you know, people that were people that were 
were, were kind of buying the night of the injury. I mean, uh, yeah, I, t- I completely agree. By the morning, it's been died. And also, we, we knew we were going to have the, the verdict by nine o'clock the next day. Um, and then, the, and then the price is absolutely, you know, in terms of what people are bidding then, you know, people that got picked them up at 250 the night before, you could, you could get them for under two pounds. Um, so if you really, if you were thinking, you know, the kind of the long term play, well, he will come back and he'll be all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. It was, it was bizarre to watch and, uh, and it was uncomfortable watching for me. And, and I, also, I just, you know, just as as on him now, you know, and this would be different for everyone. But for me, like I, I had placed a lot of faith in him. Um, you know, I kind of thought one ACL is really unfortunate. But he actually seemed like he'd come back quite well at the end of, you know, in the in the last few games of the season, just finished. And th- this has has you know, in terms of how you value players, this this has changed now for me how I value him. Two ACLs in such a short space of time is very for me. That's very different. Um, and it, and it, it puts a huge doubt in my mind over him for the future as well, even though I do think he's a super talented player and I know, you know, the medical stuff is great now and, and he, he will hopefully come back stronger. But it, it, that, it, that's exactly what we're saying about how you then value a player. This is the factor that does change it. Yeah. And, and that's what sell orders and are going to help, it's help just, people make decisions with. It's just an unnecessary risk to go for him, I think. I think there's so, so many options, so many other options that don't have that risk. So I just think with so much choice, why why go for it? That's a known risk now, two ACOs in short space of time. Um, yeah, I just don't think it's worth going for him at all anymore. I think it, it, it wasn't logical. It wasn't logical or rational, people who were buying him um, straight, you know, when he'd kind of limped off. Uh, I think people doing that, it, was, it literally was pure gambling. It's just taking a big risk and just gambling, he'll be fine and get an immediate jump back. But yeah, you've got to question if it's, if it's worth it there or not. Um, right, let's move on to some questions. FI Frodo Swaggins, how will the introduction of 2% commission on bids impact the liquidity of trading? I think it will be minimal on, on the wider spreads. I think obviously on the wider spreads, fine, you're 2% worse off, but... If you were making like a 10 to 20% gain, then it's still well worth it. And I think people will still kind of try and bid in those situations. Whereas on the tighter spreads, more we're going to see more market buy now for sure. More market buy. And I know that was a complaint before. Um, people were saying, oh, why would anyone bother buying for the market? Well, I think this is definitely going to play its role in correcting that along with the sell orders. Yeah, exa- exactly that. I think anyone on the on a tight spread, it makes even more sense to, um, to buy from the market. I think also once the, once we've got, you know, all the games back and happening and got busy Saturdays and Sundays again, you know, players that are, are smashing in a couple of goals, they're going to, they're going to be flying up, aren't they? And, and, you know, therefore there's absolutely zero point trying to get a cheeky bid in. It's not going to be accepted. So I, I, I think when the commission comes in as well, that becomes even more. Um, prevalent and you'll see a lot more market buying I think I think we're going to see much bigger rises now you know if, if you've got kind of a under 21 player scoring a brace or something I'll see I, I think we can we're going to see massive rises because yeah like you said there'll be there'll be more market buying but also because things are more liquid now people will be able to get out of holds quicker and jump on these rises then so yeah I think it's going to be going to be exciting this weekend for sure 
Isle of Man guy, with the introduction of cell orders coming up, with uh, will your strategy change immediately at all, or have they already made any changes with this coming up? I mean, Chris, you, you were just talking about Zaniolo very, uh, you know, uh, timidly there. Are you going to be doing anything with players like that, or, or generally is your strategy going to be changing? Generally, strategy is exactly the same. Um, I like to, I like to, as I said, like buy players around now. I think are going to have good seasons um, and obviously you know over the course of the season that may change maybe prove completely wrong maybe um, proved right so that that's not going to change at all for me um, but you know when a, I think when a significant factor such as a, another ACL on Zaniola happens then that doesn't change my strategy but sell orders makes it easier to make a, a, a different decision doesn't it yeah I think I'm not gonna. I'm not really gonna change much, but I think I have sort of in the past few months been taking less kind of punty bets because I think if you make a bad bet, it's trickier to get out of it. Um, I think with offers coming in tomorrow, I I think I'm, I will be a bit more liquid. I think in the next year, I think we're going to see so many rises um, that if I if I've made a bad call and I think right, this was a bit of a mistake. I'm just going to get out of it quickly and just try and get on another, on another riser because I think it'll be much easier to kind of make your money back over the next year. I don't want to be too stubborn with my money and kind of bad decisions, really. Yeah, I think someone actually said to me on, on Twitter today, um, yeah, we talk, I can't remember who it was, I think we were talking about Messi and, and they said like, oh, I said, you know, at the end of the day, if you need to, if you, if you get the opportunity to get out and you want to, then you should do it. And, 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 he, and the response was, I never, I never sell at a loss. Like that's just bad trading. And I was like, kind of like, it, it really isn't. Like it's, it's not bad trading. Yeah, to, to do that, you made a call on a player. It hasn't worked out. Their value is now different, and you can make a lot more money elsewhere, probably. So if you choose to get out at, at a loss for you on that trade, then that's the right call. So um, I think that's a. I, I, I think when I first joined the index, I was quite. Um, I was quite wedded to that as well. Like, like I, I've bought this player. I do not want to sell them at a loss. But it, you know, sometimes you realise actually, I have backed the wrong horse there. Um, it hasn't worked out. This money is far better used elsewhere. And again, sell orders are going to, albeit um, you know, you might end up getting out a, a, a bit, a bit kind of further down the ladder than you might have wanted. It, it's going to give you the option to do that more quickly and, and put the money to use elsewhere. Yeah, that's the thing that people are missing, right? If the money goes into areas that do flourish, then you've kind of made more than you would have holding that player, if he, even if he's gone back up above the the quote unquote loss that you'd made. So I think people need to think about that. It's kind of like when you talk about um, uh, buying players with dividends made from other players, it's hard to kind of quantify how well the player that's made you those dividends has done because they've also allowed you the flexibility to buy other players on the market. So I kind of think about it like that. It's like if you can sell player A and buy player B and C and players B and C outperform A in that time, then you've made a good trade regardless of whether you you were on a loss on uh, player A or not. I, I think it's really important to remember that. Yeah, because I think, you know, with sell orders, they're going to come in and, yeah, we might see some players' kind of values dip as as people exit them at a point they're more comfortable with. But that, that money itself is not going is not going out of the index in, in probably 90% of cases, maybe higher. You know, it's going somewhere else within the platform. So 
um, you know, overall, the whole thing will keep moving up. We've got a question here from Rob C. Uh, Chris, although Gomesh, have a punt too, mate. If FI came to your agency with a brief to set and then deliver their PR strategy for the next year, what do you think you would recommend, propose? <laughs> yeah, Ali, do you want to go first, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I think me and Ali are gonna, probably going to stay silent for this one, mate. Why don't you go? <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I guess, you know, before that, I think they ha- people may or may not have picked up on this. Um, but if I actually, um, have agreed, um, a, 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 on a, on a PR campaign with an agency as of yesterday, it was announced in some of the PR kind of trade media. Um, so they've appointed Hope and Glory, um, to, to work with them. Um, I, I, I don't know for how long for, but they've appointed them. So, um, I mean, just kind of before answering that question, you know, FI are thinking the same. They know that they need some outside kind of thinking to help them on the comms, which is good. Um, Hope and Glory are, you know, they're like a, they're a decent kind of top 50 sized agency in the UK and they're quite well renowned in the, in the consumer and lifestyle type spaces, um, for doing a lot of kind of good creative, um, campaigns. So I think that probably gives you an indication of the type of work that we might start to see from, from them. Um, with FI in, in, and in terms of the target audience, I think it doesn't feel like they would be going after, they'll be using th- this particular agency to go after, you know, some of the kind of finance or traditional trader types. It's going to be quite consumer focused, you'd, you'd expect. So that's quite an interesting um, development, probably goes hand in hand with um, what Adam mentioned around um, bringing in a comms director who's, who's then clearly come in and, and wanted to bring in an agency. Um, I don't know whether there's any relationship there between them previously, but that's that's just an interesting development. Um, as a Is the of, agency play a good one for FI in this context? I know you run your own PR consultancy or uh, director <laughs> well, of one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, but, and you might not want to kind of give props to another but um is this a good move for fi in in, in the whole uh you know looking at the whole grand scheme of things yeah i, th- I think it absolutely is yeah um it, it, yeah we're, we're I, yeah I do, i'm i'm happy to give hope and glory a bit of kudos <laughs> i do think they're a good a good um a good agency i'm interested to see the fit with fi um as i say they are kind of um you know, if you check out their website and particularly you'll see some of their kind of case study and stuff, they do a lot of work with like the Royal Mint and things like that. So it'd be interesting to see um, the type of creativity and campaign they bring to FI, but I do think it's needed. Yeah. I think, um, I think sometimes you just, it, it'll, it'll give the outside context that some of their cons will need, I think. And that's going to be really important. And then, you know, if they do it in a, in a good kind of exciting, creative way, then that'll be, um, that'll be all the, all the better. Um, so I think it is absolutely a smart move from them. Um, in terms of, I guess, in terms of like going back to, to Rob's question, what would I do? I think for me, the, the wider kind of marketing has done a great job already to this point of sort of growing the platform, growing the user base. Um, and obviously the new kind of marketing campaigns that we've learned about over the past um, couple of months are, are going to accelerate that, I think. So what I'd be thinking from a comms perspective is take a slightly different tact and try and kind of foster a bit of a different type of loyalty with, with current customers. Um, I think we'd kind of, you'd see that I'd, I'd, I'd want to try and get the current customer base behind what we were doing from a commerce perspective. And that will have a shine on potential new users as well. Um, I think, you know, stepping away from FI and just looking at 
where we're at in the sort of in the world if you like it's kind of grandiose view but we're in a bit of a kind of age of uncertainty and, and sort of activism at the moment you know covid of, of obviously has driven that uncertainty for consumers and businesses alike and then you know activism things like black lives matters really come into the fore um and we've also seen you know big increases in you know employee activism you know people calling out their employers if they're missing the mark or doing something wrong um that that's the that's the environment that we're in at the moment and what does what that does then mean is that you know we've we've got research on 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 this uh um at, at um at Weber where i work like what that means is the public in general they they want to see the brands that they engage with the businesses they engage with they want to see them taking kind of a stand for what they believe in it's not enough to kind of remain passive um you know and what you see is when brands do that and they stand up for something it, it drives a it drives a kind of real different type of loyalty within their customer base almost like a pride um that they have being aligned with that brand um and and opens up to many new users as well you know that great like tons of examples you know nike partnering with kaepernick um on that you know sort of extraordinary campaign that that that, that that's obviously a real famous example but there's tons over the past few months even um where people have have done exactly that so for me where is that that kind of sweet spot then for fi and i do i think we talked about this when i was on last time but the sort of responsible gambling piece can be that thing um we see a lot of awful stories from you know people who have gambling problems or whatever on on social media where they've been it appears where they've really been kind of exploited by the sort of traditional online bookmaker and i also think the government see responsible gambling as a bit of a kind of pr win story as well and i'm, I'm sort of loath to say they actually care about it but i think they see it as a positive story to be championing yes i think the important thing you've got to have your own house in order before you kind of plow into a, a campaign like that and i think there's been examples in the last few weeks where people on the timeline maybe have been talking about struggling um and i was, I was kind of really cheered to see that if i had actually contacted um some of those people as well that that's exactly the kind of thing if they were going to you know take on a sort of public responsible gambling type campaign in doing that kind of thing is obviously really important um on the other hand i think i would say you know don't do things like what was happening i think maybe a month or so ago certainly a few people that i knew who were withdrawing money were almost immediately being offered deposit bonuses and i know there's a fine line here between what makes business sense as a ultimately a gambling operator um but i think if you're then going to talk responsible gambling you can't be doing something like that in the background because there's, there's any number of reasons why those people were withdrawing money and um, but yeah ultimately i'd i think a campaign a strategy to be a bit of a kind of leading voice in that in that particular space would be great i think they can really own it it's it's complete open goal for them at the moment and um, if they get it right alongside all of the other great marketing that's going on on the acquisition side then I think it really adds to the way that FI is perceived as a brand and it, it plays like a very different role in, in growing them further and the type of loyalty and the type of customers they would they would build as a result. Yeah, really well said. I think the responsible gambling angle is something that obviously I think they have inadvertently or advertently pushed quite a lot. Um, I, I think it's not been the, I guess, the sole point of their usp and the, the sole thing that they've pushed but it's definitely something that they have pushed over the last uh, four or five years and i think it's an important one you know um it's it's and it's it's not only kind of traders that win or gamblers that uh, i mean gamblers that lose and do have issues uh, on other platforms and on all gambling platforms but 
the other thing or the other side of the coin is that like gambling companies really hate people that win so even if you do win on gambling platforms and you don't have an issue um there is a very big chance that you will get uh gubbed by these accounts and you will you will basically be in a situation where you're like, oh i won that bet and i'm not being paid out which is obviously very immoral from a from a from a kind of gambling company's perspective but for some crazy legal reason they're they're legally allowed to do that um which is which is the other side of things right yeah, definitely. And I, I just think, yeah, it just feels, it feels like such an opportunity for FI to, to lead on that. Like FI, they, they want to be talking and showcasing people winning, don't they? Cause it just, it adds to everything. I think it's just, it's just going back to what you said, Chris, it's, it's just another chance for them to show they're different from traditional gambling companies. Cause I think a lot of time to them, it's almost just like a slogan they're adding on because they have to without actual much substance behind it. Whereas FFI show as you know and they've made the right steps towards this the last couple of years that they actually do care about customers and they do kind of mean it when they say it then yeah it's just yet another way to show they're different from the uh, bookmakers yeah and, and you know comms is a, yeah, comms and PR is a different strand of marketing right that enables you to 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 think about these type of campaigns versus your much more direct stuff that, that as I say FFI are doing really well so um yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what comes out of the partnership with with the, the new agency as well and, and, and see see how that grows. Yeah, let's see what happens. Uh, we've got a question here from Index Assassin again for you, Chris. Uh, if you had to rate the FI comms out of 10, what would you rate it and what can they do to improve that score? <laughs> uh, that's really difficult, isn't it? Because it's so up and down. Um, <laughs> so I guess I'd give it a five because sometimes... I think, yeah, that's that's tight. That is spot on. And other times you're just kind of scratching your head like, what is happening here? Um, so, yeah, I'd probably give it a five. Um, and there's definite room. I think there's there's room for improvement. But by improvement, I guess I mean consistent. Um, you know, kind of consistently at a better level because they have done some really nice pieces of comms as well. So, um, yeah, I'd give it a five. I think they've got to try and achieve a much more consistent level of um of of good comms that actually you know as they keep growing it is fundamental absolutely fundamental to be better i think i uh, i I gave him a 6.5 obviously i'm not as much of an expert (laughs) as chris in this field but i think it was only one thing i kind of wanted to say and it was it was about adam cole kind of coming on twitter before the announcement so i think initially it was especially in the earlier parts of the product it was great to kind of have a ceo that was so easily available that were kind of mixed with the customer base um and it was so easy for us to kind of communicate with them. i think i think that was a big plus point actually and then i feel like as the as the product's kind of grown it's gone from being a positive thing to a negative thing and i think especially recently some of the twitter comms from have come across as a, a little disingenuous for me um I feel like before, obviously, before this div announcement, we had one that quite a few of us were, were left a bit disappointed by. And I feel like he knew the effect of his tweets at that time on the market. He kind of knew that if he came on post a rocket, it, it built expectations, people deposited more, and prices kind of inflated. And I, I think overall, this, it's just not very professional. And I feel like the image of the CEO does reflect on the image of the product. And if they can't, you know, this product has so much potential, um, but it, it needs to be more professional. And I feel like that's got to come from Adam Cole from above with the comms as well. 
in fairness, recently it has been more professional, but like you said, Chris, they've got to be more consistent and kind of stick into that. Yeah. Adam, Adam stepping back is really interesting, isn't it? I, I think it's it's absolutely the right call. I think. Yeah, we've got a question here from yeah, FI Clean yeah. Shirt, don't we? What are FI's worst PR comms events and how do you expect them to improve with this stepping back of AC from Twitter? So we'll talk a little bit about the dividend increase announcement after. But, you know, in terms of Adam stepping away, what are your thoughts here, Chris? Yeah, I think um, I can't. I think we spoke about it. Or I think I, I think I, I first really started getting a bit of a beer in my bonnet about him stepping back when he did the um, that, that Q and A a few months back, because um, I just felt like it was so pointless and and it, it just the one of, during uh, like before lockdown. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. And I think Panda said a few times he felt that was the start of the the stagnation, and I completely agree. And it, and it, and I think the reason was there wasn't anything to say. Yeah, he didn't have any answers. But he just, I think... And if they were, they were vague. Yeah. And so, you know, I think he's become... I know know you said disingenuously. I think that's that's maybe a little bit harsh for me. I think he's become a kind of well-meaning distraction rather than, as you said, maybe when we were much smaller, he was the guy that lit the rockets. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's because they're kind of a bigger bigger company now. It it is. He's under more scrutiny, under more kind of... People, people around him saying, "I'm right. You can't say this. You can't commit to that." So I think initially he could kind of come and tell us a fair bit about their future plans. Whereas now, I don't know. Maybe you know he's not allowed to, but it, it felt like he's keeping a lot, lot, lot more things closer to his chest. But in that case, what is the point of the Q and A? Yeah, it was it was pointless. You know, FI has progressed. It's big now. It doesn't need a CEO chipping in with Q and As on social media that kind of open up questions rather than answered things, um, as there wasn't really anything to say. You know, to be, to, you know, I even felt some of his kind of m- where you felt he should be more prepped appearances um, over the last few months have, have felt under-prepped almost. Um, and uh, and almost at a time sort of lacked a bit of kind of understanding of the user sentiment, which was really surprising. So I think the comms director is a great move. Obviously got the agency as well coming in, which I think will will help. And then... Yeah, I think Adam Adam takes on a different role. I think he focuses on bigger priorities for the business that maybe we don't see um, as a CEO should be doing. Um, And I think, you know, if we only heard from Adam in maybe a sort of like annual statement or something, um, and then, you know, in a crisis, say, because that's when you do need to see the leader, um, then that would would be absolutely perfect for his role. Um, you, You know, you look at the early stages of COVID and the communication then was good. And it was all being fronted by Adam. That was absolutely right because that was a real concerning point for, well, it, you know, everything outside of FI too, but with FI glasses on, it was a real point in time for FI and you needed to hear from Adam um, at that point. But yeah, yeah, the, the Q&A was, was, was not good. The, the pre-dividend um, reigning in of expectations was, was bizarre, although when we saw the announcement, it made sense, but it was still bizarre. Um, so yeah, I think it's absolutely the right call for him to step back, um, and not, not play the same role from a comms perspective he did play before. And, and let's rewind to the, the kind of dividend announcement thing. When, when mm. the first dividend announcement happened, the, the spoof dividend announcement as SG has coined it, <laughs> yeah. Chris, what are your immediate thoughts from a, I, I guess first and foremost from a trading, trader perspective, but then secondly, with your professional hat on, you must have been thinking like, what is going on here? Yeah, I just, I think, 
I, I was surprised like everyone else because I just felt, you know, everything that had happened over the past few months had led us to believe and feel that there was a big moment coming. And that, um, that, that kind of started from the Q&A actually, Chris, because I yeah. think he mentioned something about a billion market cap. Yeah, and this is exactly the point. He comes on and does that. Like, it, I think, you know, we kind of, we say a lot about under-promise and over-deliver in terms of what you do. And I, I actually think they've completely taken that on board in the very, in the, in the last dividend announcement, the, the good one, um, you know, in the way they approach that. But yeah, I think it just, from a comms perspective around that first dividend announcement, I just, I couldn't understand the thinking of, of what had happened. It felt there was no thinking. It was very muddled. It was like you're building up expectations with yeah, Adam with his one billion and all that kind of stuff, and we were all getting excited. And also, you know, we've seen great growth in the platform, um, and and so it always just felt like it was leading up to something. And then you suddenly had that kind of tweet from Adam talking about I can't remember the exact phrase, something where we all just read it and were like, what on earth is that? It was basically massively reining in the expectations, which, again, didn't really make any sense, um, you know, a couple of days before the announcement, even if they knew that, or they had obviously clearly become aware that they were about to disappoint a chunk of the user base. Uh, I think there's probably better ways of even handling that. So, yeah, it felt very muddled, um, and it's obviously been kind of rectified. Although, I've got to say, and you, you referenced that first, uh, uh, that question around, you know, what's FY's worst PR and comms? Um, over three years, it's been some absolute stinkers, obviously. Like, um, figure you'll remember the, the like, PB's going to be open to the squad debacle, um, <laughs> which we haven't previously been told it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and the way the article kind of fell out the index on that one. Um, you know, transfer dividends in January was a mess, comms wise, I, I thought. Um, but on the flip side, as we said, the COVID... Super match day dividend points. Yeah, I mean, what? Is, yeah, I, I still can't... <laughs> to explain, this day. <laughs> I, I can't explain that now, yeah. Um, and, then, you know, the COVID comms was great, um, really clear and reassuring, which is absolutely what was needed. Um, so when I actually looked at that question, I thought it was a good idea to look at, like, something really, really recent. Um, and the lead-up, as we just said, to the, the first dividend increase was poor. Um, but I think... You know, when, when it underwhelmed, I think even if you look at how they rectified it, it was still a bit of a kind of mixed bag in terms of comms. I, I thought it was a massive surprise to then have the second announcement and what they did with their kind of just a real short, sharp announcement saying we're doing it again. And that, that was kind of good. But even that announcement I found a bit weird. It was kind of three lines long. It was delivering what was ultimately very good news for I think most people felt totally needed. But for such a short announcement, I found it quite clumsy still. Like, I know this is my day job and I'm probably overanalyzing. Um, but with any sort of cons, I think the context is kind of so key um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the environment that you're announcing that comes into. I think, you know, when I was working with clients through the sort of early stages of COVID and they were producing internal comms or comms that were going out to customers and partners and we were kind of working them, working with them on it, I kept saying to people like, listen, there's a wider context here and you're not getting this right. Like imagine, imagine, you know, someone reading that comms, not as a customer or not as someone who works for you. Imagine someone reading it who has lost a relative as a result of COVID. And if you read it through that lens and it feels uncomfortable, then you know that this comms is not right. Um, that was the context for them. But what was, what was the kind of context at that point for FI when they made that second announcement, when it was a kind of flat 
market, like sentiment was a bit negative across social media, including some kind of real loyal supporters as well as the, as, as um, you know some of the kind of newer people that may be less loyal. Um, the general sentiment was negative. And the recent dividend announcement obviously left people quite cold. So it was kind of brilliant news that they were doing this second review. But in the kind of context that we just kind of said there, like, should they have said that the business situation has changed? Because one of the things that happened after the first dividend announcement was people started questioning the finances. Um, because why haven't they offered a better dividend increase? And so to say that the financial situation had changed said to me, well, that maybe that perception of what the finances were like just then was true. And it, it maybe wasn't. I don't know, but it was not really needed. Um, and then also there was the point that, you know, a lot of people, I think, felt the flat market situation, you know, the stagnation was going to be solved by sell orders. Um, and, you know, now, as we know, we're on the verge of it. That's brilliant. At that point, to then say in that announcement that they were going to prioritize the dividend announcement over the sell orders, again, not, not really needed. You didn't need to tell us that you were kind of prioritizing the dividend announcement over the, over what a lot of people felt was the longer term fix of the stagnation. Just got to phrase it better. Do you know what I mean? But then, and then the actual dividend announcement comes, and I thought that was was really good. Just clear, positive, obviously great news, but also it was a really nicely written piece of comms, and and the and the Adam kind of bit at the end was quite heartfelt and sincere, and a great sign off from him as well. So I think that was really good, and I hope that is the kind of the sign of what's to come, comms wise. For sure, for sure, it, it seemed like maybe even though the comms officer hadn't started that. They, whoever they were, were lending a, a helping hand at that point anyway. So. <laughs> uh, got a question here from Index Owen. How cognitive biases may play a part when sell orders are released on Thursday? Also, do you have any plans to better your 0.75 KD ratio in Warzone? I think that's directed at you, Ali. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, is this serious, one of your mates? Yeah, some serious exposure of my uh, poor are KD. You, are you playing in the tournament this Sunday? I, I'm actually away at the moment. So, uh, have yeah, to, that's a good excuse that one, to be fair. So yeah, I'll save someone <laughs> the burden of having me on their team. Any cognitive biases? Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually reading a book at the moment um, called Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. And it, and a lot it's pretty much about ir- irrationality of humans. Um, and, I, and I think in Mark, I know you've had guests kind of speak about it before. And I think, yeah, in markets and when money's involved, we really kind of see these ir- irrationalities come out in people. Um so just, yeah, so cognitive biases, just if anyone doesn't know, to sum it up, basically, they're pretty much just flaws in the ways that humans think. And I think specifically to tomorrow, I've, I've kind of got a little, I could be here talking about it for a while, but I've narrowed it down to three biases, which I think we're going to see quite a lot. And I know we're kind of discussing them earlier. So the first one is, is anchoring. So what this is, is basically tendency of humans to rely too heavily on the first bit of information presented to us. So I think tomorrow when we log in, that first buy price, this is kind of what we were saying earlier about you really need to have some sort of valuation of your own players because I think you log in, you'll see a buy price, maybe it's quite a bit lower than the previous buy price you had. Um, it's so important to not panic here. Just remember, like like Chris said, like Fig said earlier, nothing's really changed fundamentally about the intrinsic value of your player. It's just the bid that someone's put in. Um, even if it's lower, just kind of stick to your guns. Don't panic. Just wait and see kind of what happens, I think. Um, second one then, so it kind of, kind of goes the other way with this one. So it's 
it's the conservatism uh, bias. So what this means is that we rely too heavily um, on old information and underway new evidence. So I think the anchoring bias will probably play a part over the good holds we have and might kind of tempt people to sell them for less than they should. Whereas I think this bias um, might kind of make people stay too stubborn and not get out of holds. So I think people tend to not react well to change. So if they're used to a previous price on a player and it changes, people show a reluctance to kind of change to that new price. So I think especially with people who've held players for a long time, and, and you know, there's a, there's a big spread on them at the moment, but let's say they're like seven pounds. Um, a bid comes in at 550. You might just want to think, right, was this a bad hold? Should I just take this? Like, don't be too stubborn. Maybe just think about the new information and things around it. Um, then the last one, which I think will contribute to kind of big rises and, and maybe big drops, I guess, but it's the bandwagon effect. So it's people's tendencies to kind of adopt a certain behavior just because everyone else is doing it. Um, so the more people adopt a particular trend, the more likely it becomes other people hop on. And I think we see this all the time on the rises list and on the decrease list. A lot of time you see people on Twitter saying, oh, why is his price just snowballed down? Why is his price snowballing up? And I think when a rise happens because of this effect, a lot of people tend to jump on. And I think on the weekend, especially with the games coming back, if there's a player that scores, starts rising and people see this, expect a lot of people to jump on them for this to kind of just, yeah, pick up a lot of momentum. No more? Well, I kind of. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got. I've I heard got a page nothing. flick, so I was <laughs> like, "Is there any more?" <laughs> I could be all they talk about, honestly, but I just I thought I'd go for free for this one, not to long out too much. Loved it. No, <laughs> no, really good. From me. Really nothing good. Yeah, nothing, nothing to add from me either. <laughs> uh, I just hope your war zone uh, skills improve and, and get to the level of your cognitive bias. Yeah, I've got nothing to insight. add on that either. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Um, just before we move on I need to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by The Athletic The Athletic is a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage featuring football reporters you know and love like David Ornstein James Pearce Sam Lee and Rafa Honigstein The Athletic is telling stories you won't find anywhere else no ads or clickbait just great sports writing so for 40% off your annual subscription to the best sports writing around go to theathletic.co.uk slash fig it's £2.99 a month if you go for their annual deal Jets are going to ask you the fated question Chris have you bought anything recently Recently, this costs you more than two pound ninety nine. Yes, can it? Can I say uh, a fair few Oscar Rodriguez shares? <laughs> <laughs> fair play, fair play, uh, Ali. Yeah, just a cup of coffee yesterday, actually. So fuck it out, fuck it out. I thought you said you were vacationing in Wales. Isn't it supposed to be cheaper? Well, yeah, I know that's what I thought as well. But for some reason, nice coffees uh, cost a premium here. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot. Um, trying to think what I've bought recently. I had a, a, a nice Turkish for dinner last night. Um, I was out. It was nice. Yeah, more than two pound ninety nine for sure. Um, actually, the hummus we ordered cost four pounds, which was incredible. Like I couldn't believe it was like a really small plate as well. And uh, one of my friends, who's quite quite a frugal fella, um, uh, I looked at the bill and I and I knew it would trigger him straight away. So I went, oh my God, the hummus was £4. And he just like, literally, if you saw his face, he was outraged, eyes open, couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, you've you got, you got to do what you got to do in those situations. Yeah, he right? sounds like a great guy to go for dinner with. 
Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's all right. He's completely fine. Um, Tony Graham, as two people with established and well-paid careers, would you consider going full-time on FI if it was financially viable? Or do you see FI always being a hobby, regardless of the amount you make from it? I mean, this question has probably stemmed from having Lee B on, on the podcast, Chris, which I'm, I'm sure you listened to and I think you said yeah. you enjoyed. Um, it, it's not going to be the route that everyone takes, right? Yeah, and and not mine. No, um, very much a kind of hobby for me. Um, I think you know I, I worked within football um, prior to uh, prior to getting into kind of PR world that I'm in now, and I think I just found that as much as I loved it, you also stop enjoying it. Um, and so I think it would be the same for for FI for me if it became my job. I, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much. Yeah, I think similar to Chris, I'd. I like kind of having two different two different sources of income um, and like kind of having FI as, as a side thing. But I think maybe if I might consider kind of dropping a day and kind of dedicating that more to, more to index. Um, but what I'd want to kind of see change, I'd want more depth to the market. I just think at the moment um, there is limited money. So there's, obviously there's loads of different strategies to kind of make money on FI. But with limited money, what we see quite often is when a trend comes in, people tend to sell off players, which might be good for certain strategies and just kind of jump on this trend. And for me, it just, it does make FI slightly unpredictable as to which strategy is going to work at, at, at different times, where if we got more debt for more money in the market, it means more strategies are going to be simultaneously kind of profitable. And overall, I think it'd be more predictable to kind of be making money regularly from it. So I don't know if we kind of get there, I might maybe drop a day. What you, what you do say about the uh, seller orders and the kind of depth of market is is very important. But I mean, you know, hypothetically, Ali, we've got everything in place. You know, let's say by January, everything is in place. Nasdaq is fully flowing, and we've got a new media uh, revamp by then. IPOs are coming into the market. You wouldn't consider it. <laughs> Oh, I don't know about full time. I don't know. I feel like my girlfriend wouldn't be too happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah, that, that was an important person to keep answer. happy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was absolutely in the background of my answer, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> you were just like, yeah, my missus wouldn't approve. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure family would take you when she's like, oh, yeah, well, he's given up dentistry to, <laughs> to trade. All stuff. that studying as well, just to trade footballers. Like, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> Um, we've got a question here from Sinister Mihailovic. When identifying a potential trade, what do you look for? For example, are div returns more equal or less important than capital appreciation? Also, is trading on FI sometimes like pulling teeth? Brackets, sorry, I couldn't resist. Ali, go on. You go first <laughs> since this was, I guess, slightly angled towards you, mate. Um, I think in terms of comparison with pulling teeth, so with pulling teeth, you probably think, if you put more force in and pull harder, you're more likely to get the tooth out. But actually, it's the complete opposite. You're less likely to get the tooth out. The more effort you're putting in, the more you're pulling. And I think sometimes that can actually be similar with FI, just because you're trying harder, you're trading more, you're putting more time, and it doesn't necessarily translate to more profits. Hmm. Uh, Chris, lovely, any, it? any thoughts? Lovely. Nice and concise, <laughs> nice and succinct. He's up in his game. He's he's aging yeah, like fine was... wine on this podcast. Just getting better as it goes on. Uh, I mean, I don't really have any thoughts about how hard you need to pull teeth, but um, <laughs> I'm kind of cheered to hear that Ali 
uh, you know, it takes a softer approach. And <laughs> slightly terrifying to have people yank it out. Um, but yeah, I think for me, in answer to that question, yeah, both. I think um, I'm looking at one having a knock-on effect on the other, essentially. So for I'm buying a player that I think is going to win dividends pretty regularly. Um, it's a pretty safe bet. They're also going to rise as they do that. Um, but the starting point is probably trying to yeah identify people that I think are going to start winning dividends regularly. Maybe something's changed for them that's going to that's going to kind of up it, um, or they always had the potential to. And they, they go hand in hand, don't they? I think that's it. I think I think it's been said so many times before, but I just you just can't have the cap app without the dividend kind of earning potential. Yeah. Um, it seems to be strange that a lot of people separate those two. Yeah, I just you yeah. just can't get one without the other because if there's no dividend potential to a player, then really there's no kind of value to them. There's no point holding them. And like we discussed earlier on the show, didn't we, that when we see explosive rises, usually they come from really big immediate div returns. And if you could predict who those players are going to be in the future, like, you know, as you mentioned, Ali, you went from £7 Sancho to... 10 plus pound Sancho very quickly and it was all because he started winning dividends but if you can be in ahead of that curve then you can win a lot of money exactly yeah literally they they go hand in hand Um, I don't think you can kind of have one without the other really Dr Mantis Tabagan underscore FI addict I mean look at the end of the day the FI community is growing right and you're (laughs) gonna have to fight harder for a good name on Twitter so I suppose that's one of the reasons that this guy has gone for that, that, that <laughs> handle. Um, do you like rum ham? I don't actually know what that is, by the way, gents. A lot of traders are talking about short, medium to long-term holds, which seems to be different for everyone. What would you describe as short, medium and long-term holds? And uh, yeah, I put this in because it, it made me think because it was like a lot of people talk about short-term trading, medium, medium holds and long-term holds, but what does it actually mean to, to either of you guys? Hmm. Um... On the on the ham thing, I I've never <laughs> tried rum ham. But I feel like I would like it. Like I, I I do like to spend a bit of time in weight trays looking at the various hams on on offer. So I think if there was a rum ham, I would go. To it. <laughs> so I'll give I will give that a whirl if I see one. I'm assuming it is as it sounds. Yeah, I think, a ham. I think it's from a, a show. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Um, right. Okay. But no, I'm I'm not really a ham man either. To be honest, I prefer a nice beef slice personally. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's covered that then. Um, uh, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you, mate? Um, what about rum ham? Or any ham? Uh, I mean, I've not had rum ham before. I don't actually know what it is. Uh, I'm I'm in the alley camp where I probably prefer prefer a nice. Um, uh, I'm not not a big ham fan, really. Um, but anyway, short, medium, <laughs> long term holds. Yeah, um, I think. <laughs> I think. I kind of look at it as short term, and and as I think I said earlier, like I tend, I would say I'm predominantly traded long term for me, um, but I would look at it as like short term. I'd say probably short term is like the IPD window, maybe is how I would view it. You know, if you're viewing it as like, I know some people trade game to game. I I can't do that and would would go go wrong with that. I think, but um, uh, that to me just makes it a lot more like gambling. Uh, you know, your sort of traditional gambling. But I think short term, probably as you have that 30-day IPD window, makes sense to classify that as a short-term trade. Mid-term then, you know, maybe you think that you expect over the next few months a player to perform quite well and grow. And so you're looking at maybe like, you know, two or three months hold. And then long-term, beyond that really. And and, and to me, I'd, as I said, I tend to look at like, how do I think 
how am I guessing that that player, based on what I think about them, is going to perform for the season or or beyond? And that that's probably where I put most of my trades in the long term category. Yeah, I, I think it's quite subjective, actually. Figure. I think it depends on. Um, I think it, it just varies person to person, and depends whether your main strategy is. You know, if you're more of a short term holder or longer term holder, and then you can kind of go within that as well. So if you're, I think if you're a short term holder, your short term holds will be shorter than a longer term holders shorter holds if that kind of makes sense um i think for me personally i'd say a short-term hold is probably a couple of hours to four weeks medium-term hold will be one month to kind of three months and then long-term holds kind of four five six up to 12 months maybe but i think nfi um a couple of months is a very long time i think very very few people actually tend to hold for years like like we kind of hear Mm, yeah, I think the the short term, medium term, long term thing, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like there is uh, there is the there is the misunderstanding from uh, from traders that it is not set in stone what a short term, medium term, long term hold is, uh, and I think that's important to realise as well. Like um, you know, there is. Uh, this conception that short-term trading is just day trading but for me i might look at short-term trading as like trading for the next two to three weeks or whatever so um people need to understand that we differ as traders and as people so you know there we are uh, last question here from fi gardener how can fi improve their referral scheme would existing traders be more enthusiastic at promoting fi to friends if the reward was a bit more relative to the deposits they make in the future do you want to go ali yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Anyone>? <laughs> um yeah, I feel I feel like they could expand on on the current ten pound structure. Um, I think they should maybe kind of do it as like a percentage of overall deposits. So I was kind of thinking maybe they could do five percent of what whoever you've referred deposits in the first kind of three months up to twenty k maybe, and I feel like that would act as a much bigger incentive to not only get your kind of friend in, but makes them feel comfortable enough to be putting larger amounts of money in there i do yeah i, do I think, think they're missing think a bit of a trick sense. there to be honest yeah i do because we're, we're definitely the biggest kind of advocates for them at the end of the day aren't we um yeah i mean i, I don't i don't, I, don't I, I can't remember the last time i sent anyone a, a referral code because i i think it gets maxed out after a while doesn't it and then and i haven't really given it a moment's thought since then i still talk to people a lot about it and you try and get people to sign up, but I don't think I've given anyone a referral code for ages. Um, so yeah, I think was it was it? Um, it was a good few months ago. Fig, I think when you had Headhunter on, I think he talked a lot about yeah. this as well, didn't he? And he, what he was saying made a lot of sense. It's pretty similar to what you you've said, Ali. I think you know if you st- if you if you bring if you manage to get someone to come in and they make a you know and they, they've got a lot of disposable income, and they make a you know a twenty k deposit as their first deposit or something. And, you know, you just get a tenner for that. That seems nuts, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, I think they could definitely have another look at the structure and, and revamp it based on the type of um, type of wealth you bring into the platform, I guess. I, I mean, yeah, I think there needs to be a bit more uh, dynamism around it, right? Um, uh, there needs to be a bit more flexibility and there needs to be more tools given to, to traders so they can encourage their friends in in different ways right i I keep saying that we should be able to gift like shares to players um i don't know how that works with gambling regulations but that that would be a cool idea yeah i mean you you can get you can walk into it you can walk into a coral and put a bet on for someone someone and give them the slip can't you 
<laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true it's true uh, yeah i don't know i'm sure there are some regulation about it but that would be great though wouldn't it I, I also something that comes up on the timeline a lot is people saying why don't fi do gift vouchers uh i think you know yeah when you come to your birthday or something and and you, your mum says what do you want you know, yeah just sort me out with a with an fi gift voucher be great well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining me, gents. Chris, we've kept you way longer than we should have, mate. I'm sorry. Uh, you might not get too much time for lunch now. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Uh, yeah, on uh, on Twitter, I think I'm Chris underscore Harris with a, with a five at the end is where you find me. Occasional work chat, mostly Football Index and uh, Saints chat. Hmm. Saints, yeah, good luck for the season. Uh, Ali, where can people find out more about you? So yeah, I'm just Index Gomesh on, on Twitter. And as always, if any new traders want help with anything, just, yeah, drop me a message. Um, well, if you guys did enjoy that, please do leave a review in Apple, wherever you listen. Please do subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot and really helps me out. If you guys are commuting right now, stay safe, wear a mask, all that good jazz. If you are not commuting, doing whatever you're doing, shout out to the non-commute crew. Sorry we didn't get to answer all your questions there were quite a few uh too many dentistry ones again i should have taken some of those out uh, remember football index is a gambling platform only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops thank you everyone for listening have a great day <laughs> <laughs>